Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project. I know we've been going for a while. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. So excited to be back uh, with you all. Um, so excited about today's uh, guest. But before we dive into that, I want to make you aware that we're having the Through Eyes of Color virtual experience October 1st through the 3rd. Uh, the information will be on the screen on where you can register. Register at Through Eyes of Color. Um, dot com. We have some um, an amazing lineup um, and various topics. I'm so excited about the first day we'll be focused on informational apologetics, the second day incarnational apologetics. And we believe that apologetics has to have a holistic approach uh, for, for it to flourish. Um, and so we want to make sure you're equipped um, to engage the questions of our day, especially especially in the African-American context. So without further ado, uh, let's get into today's episode. And I want to introduce you to today's guest, uh, Mr. McClotsy. Uh, I, I think I ruined it again, uh, the name and pronunciation. <laughs> I, I'm struggling uh, trying to get it. I'm going to nail it down. Once I get it, I'm going to have it and I'm going to be able to say it like uh, nobody's business, but uh, you've been on here before. I'm excited to have you on again. Um, we talked a little bit about the subject we're going to talk about today, but we want to go in more detail of uh, this time. But for those who don't know who you are, just give our audience just a little bit of background. Yeah, my name is Mashati uh, Mashua. <laughs> I live in Cape Town in South Africa with my beautiful uh, wife Lusanda and our three beautiful daughters uh, who are aged five uh, or six, five and, and two. And so it's a busy household at the moment. And I also ha happen to be the regional director for uh, uh, RZIM, as we call it here, um, and uh, which is really uh, in my capacity as a speaker and as a, as a writer, I engage with, the, with people who raise questions, observations, uh, reservations uh, as well as objections whenever the Christian story or the Christian truth claims are being are being made and it's my privilege and pleasure to to explore some of life's big uh, questions in light of what the Christian story has to say with people awesome I'm excited that you're joining us today um we're going to talk about African spirituality. Is African spirituality bad? And the reason this came to me, this actually was a topic that I discussed with you before the Beyonce uh, 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 videos came out. Um, I haven't watched her videos yet, so I can't I can't really speak to to um, what she put out. Um, I know there was a lot of conversation about the mix of African spirituality, but what interesting did me was a friend sent me this uh, viral video on YouTube that was from several months ago in which uh, it was a roundtable discussion um, by a lot of um, millennials, black millennials that talked about was African spirituality bad and it was by Grapevine. And I found, found it to be one of the most fascinating conversations I've seen in a long, long time. Um, I applaud their efforts in putting this conversation together because I think they did a, a really good job in capturing where people are with this topic across different spectrums. There were people who identified as Christian, Muslim, um, African spiritualists, and then African spiritualists and Christian or African spiritualists and Muslim. Um, and it was a it's very interesting and enlightening video to see how people are engaging this idea. And I sent it to you uh, 
And uh, I think you were just intrigued as I, and we decided to talk about it on, on, on the podcast. What was your kind of just initial thoughts after seeing or engaging this topic of African spirituality in light of you being in South Africa, you have your own experience with African spirituality and um, how did you think after you saw it as a relation as it relates to how African Americans or are black because they were Caribbeans or um, and first gen people were thinking through the topic that's different than how you think people would think about the topic where you are in South Africa. So the the one of the one of the things that first jumped out at me is I just I just commend people for having uh, setting up dialogues like these and having conversations, real honest conversations about you know our deepest longings, our highest aspirations, our experiences. This is what's necessary and what's needed. And some of these topics, because you grow up in an environment where you know asking questions is just uh, or discussing critically one's uh, faith or, or the relationship one is with one's faith is just not encouraged. I, I, so I, I was really pleased to see that uh, real honest engagement of deep commitments about some of the deepest parts of our lives. I commend that. The other thing is that often we think about uh, pluralism almost as just a coexistence of ideas within the same space and uh, in a sense just uh, without hostility. But I think it's got to be more than that, there's to be a meaningful engagement. There's to be a meaningful engagement with our deepest commitments and our deepest convictions. And that's what I saw. I saw real honest conversations, deep convictions, commitments, engaging in an energetic way. Uh, but then the other thing, of course, and I think maybe we'll unpack this as we continue, is that they were speaking uh, about African spirituality uh, as Africans, uh, as uh, people of color, I guess, who have a various uh, different types of relationships. But as somebody who was coming from an African traditional religion, uh, myself, and somebody who also travels, you know, Africa a bit and having deep, I have meaningful relationships with people on this beautiful continent from different places like Ghana and Nigeria and the East and in the West, uh, in the West uh, of Africa and also in the East of Africa, in the Southern of Africa, there were certain things that were being said about, I guess, what I would consider the religion of my birth that I just couldn't identify with. Uh, there were things, the way in which it was described, which seemed to be slightly different, I guess, to, to what I understood it. And so I was quite intrigued as well in terms of how some of these ideas have developed uh, particularly in different parts of, of the world. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the, for you, what were the differences or distinctions? Like what to you was like maybe misrepresented or misunderstood? Uh, I would say that um, there was, there was a sense in which maybe the full scope of the metaphysical side is, uh, is not mapped out. And so rather than what was, rather than a misrepresentation, or uh, a misunderstanding is is just maybe the 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 missing conceptual clarity of what exactly we are talking talking about, and so the application, for instance, when it comes to rituals and that sort of thing, that's undergirded by certain values and beliefs and principles, which some of which I found, say, for instance, problematic. Uh, but I think there can be a romanticizing of the 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 end. Or the end product, if you like, or what is seen and what is what is what is experienced. Uh, there, there were also certain moments where I saw a romanticization of a pre-colonial, uh, I think, Africa. Uh, in as much as we must problematize, you know, how bad colonial history uh, was and the history of empire and colonialism and how disrupted that was to the development of Africa, to, to the identity of African peoples and other peoples around the world, that that was really, really, really bad. Uh, and, and we're still coming to grips with that. And it was very disruptive. But one of the things that I saw was almost a projection, if you like, of a wokeness utopia into the past as well, to, to say that before colonization, before the white people before you know white missionaries came 
that 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 things were 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 not problematic. Uh, there was all this. There was a downplaying of some of the problematic issues directly relating to, I think, the practice of African traditional religions as well. Mm -hmm. That's that's helpful. Um, I want to give people a framework because I know different. There's not like all African spirituality is the same or created equal in a sense. Um, but if you would think about a general framework or overview of what African spirituality encompasses or um, how it works, um, kind of the beliefs or the tenets, what what would be some things you would give our audience to just help them frame what we're talking about? Yeah, so just I would I would always keep in mind that um, many of these concepts we are using English uh, translations. We're translating these concepts into English, and so sometimes they don't fully capture how we understand them here uh, as people who practice, you know, African traditional religions, for instance. And at the backdrop of that is, of course, the history of, you know. Uh, renaming everything and translating everything and, and committing epistemological injustice in a sense that uh, you lose some of the core philosophical ideas and, and understanding and meanings, certainly, that is expressed in their original languages. But, you know, if I think about, for instance, African spirituality, I don't think of, I don't think of a, um, I think about it in this term that there, there, is a, there is a belief that our religious practices and ideas, they permeate through every facet of life, you know, the mundane, the everyday. So in that sense, it's more of a, of a, a general worldview and outlook of, of life. And that, that is separate from a you know, compartmentalization that often is found, say, in the West of the sacred, you know, secular in a broader term, that would be my understanding of, I guess, the spiritual uh, uh, core of how we understand, or at least what we understand to be spirituality in the African context. But I realize that maybe some of the people, when they say African spirituality, they're talking about specifically African traditional religions. And in that sense, you are absolutely right. There are, there are different types of uh, African traditional religions. Uh, they, they, depending exactly on, on also which uh, 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 ethnic uh, grouping that you, you you come from, you know, whether it's Yoruba or Zulu, Tosa or uh, whatever from different uh, parts of Africa, it may be incredibly nuanced uh, when it comes to some of these practices and so forth. So it's it's better to refer them in the plural, like you said. But what one one of the things that you see is you see that there are some there's some core themes and core beliefs, like you said. Um, and some of them might include, for instance, the belief in a, in, in a creator. Uh, there are some polytheistic ones, but mostly you'd find that there's a, if they're monotheistic in a sense that there's a belief in a, in a creator who's separate from creation. There is also a belief that part of creation, that includes human beings as well as the other material uh, world. But that when human beings uh, die, that they continue their existence uh, into into the spiritual realm. They just it's just, it's just a different mode of existence. In other words, they don't cease to exist. They continue to exist in a different mode and be, in the spiritual realm. And the spiritual realm, of course, is it overlaps with the natural realm and has the ability to influence the the natural realm, so that those who exist in the spiritual realm still play an important role and part of the of the uh, the natural realm uh, and again i'm using these these distinctions but they're translations so to speak but in the spiritual realm not only are there these personal uh spirit uh, uh forces but there are also impersonal forces like good luck and bad luck and blessings and cursing curses and the living have a relationship with the personal spirits that live in the spiritual realm and that relationship can be defined maybe in this way that those of us who are living we, we, we honor, we recognize, you know, those who've come before us, especially those who have family ties with us, uh, you know, those who've come from our families who've passed on. But it's more than that. We look to them for protection. We look to them for guidance. We look to them for, for wisdom, uh, to remove curses. 
And they give us also a sense of a strong identity in terms of who, who we are uh, embedded, of course, and encoded in the memory of who, who they are and who, who they were. We also have uh, those who play an integral part in the re facilitating the relationship through uh, between the living and those who've passed on. And those would be, again, for lack of a better uh, word, would be mediums or spiritists or mediators might be a better term. And these people uh, have uh, various uh, powers. They refer to different uh, names in different cultures, but they've got this ability to really bridge the gap between the two worlds and communicate between the two worlds and even can affect, I guess, uh, some of the impersonal forces like luck, good luck, blessings and curses in such a way that they can influence in very practical ways uh, the lives of those who are living. I would say these are some of the core metaphysical threads that run through what we may call African traditional religions. But that also to note that John Mbiti, uh, as a theologian, makes an argument that Christianity in Africa is so is, is old enough to be regarded as well. As, a, as an indigenous African religion. Mm -hmm. Wow, I love that quote. I think that is tr uh, tremendously helpful in thinking through because oftentimes Christianity is only thought of as post-colonial, um, not pre-colonial um, in Africa. And that I think that quote helps us reshape um, our thoughts about it. Um, as, so I'm, I'm, I love that you brought that up. When we think about that title of the question of the YouTube video, is African spirituality bad? Because one of the things that they talked about was the demonization of African culture. Um, and we see that in the US, we see that, I'm well, I can't speak from actually seeing it, but people say that about how colonialism permeated the continent that they saw African culture as, as bad, inherently bad. So uh, could you speak to that question? Is African spirituality in itself bad? Is there something that can be redeemed from it? And how do we distinguish, I'm, I'm compacting, um, African culture from African spirituality? Are the two syn synonymous in that, in that sense? So, you know, one thing that I saw in the video um, with, relate, with relating to this question is, is first there is, the description of what is happening or what has happened. And in a sense, it's not surprising. It's something that has been happening, which is namely the, the idea that people, young people in particular, are questioning, you know, their, their allegiance, uh, their, their affiliation to, to Christianity, and for various reasons are, are walking away from, from the church or from their affiliation to Christianity. And they're, there are many reasons for this. Uh, they're, 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 the reasons vary from, you know, encountering uh, hypocrisy in the church or abuses in the church or the inability of the church to, to deal with uh, important questions that are quite important uh, in their everyday life. Uh, questions, you know, uh, about uh, social justice, uh, for instance. Uh, that are so that are so, so important, or, or addressing violence, for instance, in in in, in urban African American communities, uh, as I heard from from one of the participants, for instance, or um, issues about uh, you know gender based violence or, or women, or the treatment of women in in the church. That they find that these issues are not adequately uh, addressed or relevant. But there is also a sense in which. A lot of young people are looking into into the past, and and there are many drivers of that conversation, particularly uh, the recent uh, the resurgent conversations uh, about racism, uh, and and the the uh, the, part, the the history of racism and the role of racism in its various forms historically, right to 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 actually commit other forms of injustices, and one of them being the severing of young people in terms of their identity, um, you know, where people fi find themselves in a culture, in a place where they call home, but they, they feel lost and they feel a sense of, uh, as, as uh, others have called it, a, a sense of double consciousness uh, as well, which tears at their soul. And so there's a form of a protest as well. One could look back and go, well, if racism, uh, the effects of it is that I'm displaced from 
you know, my traditional uh, uh, or historical identity. One way of protesting that is to reclaim that. And unfortunately, some of it becomes an uncritical reclaiming in the form of protest, some of these, uh, these, these ideas. Well, the question comes and says, is African spirituality, you know, uh, bad? And, and of course, then this conflict, there's so many issues that are covered within what we call African spiritu uh, spirituality, because part of that, like I said, the backdrop is, is the history of injustice. Uh, what colonialism did uh, in its aims to uh, conquer a people and then to give them religion, uh, there was a way in which Christianity was made complicit because the colonizers also claimed and, and the, the, what you call the Christian faith. And the religion that they gave to people was Christianity. And not only did it become about conquering people and giving them religion, but it continued as one of the participants in the videos used to be used as a tool of oppression. So you not only conquer, but then you then on, uh, you dispossess a conquered people of their free land interest, uh, freehold interest in their in their territory. So there's a there's a stealing that happens of land and of people in the name again of Christianity, and then there is also furthermore this uh, a, a destroying of culture. So everything that uh, was considered African culture as opposed to Western culture was then. Uh, without understanding, without a critical engagement, just put in a box of superstitious nonsense or evil or demonic, uncritically, and therefore, uh, uh, and vilified and rejected. And so then the people who were then conquered uh, were, were, were then defined for uh, unilaterally by those who conquered them, what truth, what knowledge, what experience is. And so this sense of pain, which we live with, uh, here, you know, all the time. And we have to reckon with this because how do we remember our past without a sense of, of shame, without a sense of anger, without a sense of pain, when you realize this is what's happened? Because it wasn't only beliefs that directly impact, you know, uh, Christian beliefs, but there were extra beliefs, what people wore, the instruments they, 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 they played, those were demonized too. The, the, the languages were demonized. Uh, the certain rituals and, and practices which just were part of what we call, uh, I guess, African culture, rites of passage. All of these things were simply uncritically in a, in a racist way. They were demonized. And so I guess part of reclaiming some of these things is, 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 is looking into them and trying to separate which ones actually have a direct uh, impact and co that speak particularly to certain uh, data, scriptural data that we see and which ones do not, because again, there are some beautiful aspects of African culture that were demonized. Um, but at the same time, there are, I believe, Lisa, certain things which, which are part of that, uh, of that culture, a part of that history, which uh, I, becomes into conflict, direct and sharp conflict with the biblical data in that sense. The question, can they be redeemed? Absolutely. Um, because it's a matter of finding that which has been unlawfully, un, uh, 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 immorally, if I can put it that way, demonized uh, and separating that from that which then you know, needs to have a conversation with the scriptural data. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Um, when we think about um, ancestors um, and them as a guiding force in our lives today. Um, how, what do you think the greatest appeal of that is for, for people? Um, the connection with ancestors, what do you think the desire, because I think everything has a root, right? There's not, people are not just d diving into something because they just, there's no deeper emotional connection to it on any kind of level. Um, I always mention the pain points. People are looking for personhood, power, prosperity, provision, um, peace, uh, you can insert purpose or pleasure in there as well. And so as you think about the framework, what do you think that connection to the ancestors, what, what do you think, how, what do you think 
the need is meeting for people? What need do you think is meeting for people? If if that makes sense. Yes, it, it makes it makes sense. Uh, I think that first and foremost, maybe if I can answer it from from my perspective uh, in terms of my own experience, it might be helpful. That yeah, there there certainly are some psychological and existential um, needs that the connection to to ancestors meet, but primarily, and I think it's what we must always go back to, is that African peoples had experiences and have today experiences which uh, are, are often uncritically dismissed by outsiders uh, or redefined from an outsider's perspective without, without understanding what they actually are. And these, these experiences, they actually... Uh, speak and 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 feed into uh, a worldviews the way we understand the world the lenses through which we interpret the world and 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 our deeply held commitments they're shaped by by experiences and in turn we use those worldviews then to interpret our experiences at the same time and so they, it becomes like a loop that's feeding uh, in, in, uh, in each other when somebody from the outside comes in without understanding and simply says what you what you're experiencing is just in your head or it's just uh, you know superstitious belief because you are not civilized or you don't have education then they can tend to be also from 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 some of us a way in which we dismiss them uh, because we think that they're speaking ignorantly uh, from ignorance and from with a lack of understanding. And so, so it's important to know that, again, some, uh, the reason why people, you know, uh, consult with ancestors or ancestral spirits is because a lot of them have experiences where they be- that, they, that they believe are real, the really, uh, experiences which feed into, into what, how they see the world. And and that that they interpret as being as being part of their the reality. The the second thing is that, uh, as you mentioned, that the, it it an, ancestralism, uh, and particularly consulting with ancestral uh, spirits, can can meet certain psychological but also existential needs. Uh, the need to belong, because the moment you 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 consult. Uh, you know, ancestral spirits, not just consult any ancestral spirits, for instance, in many different communities, you're, you're, you're consulting very specific ancestors uh, who, particularly when you do, also speak into your story of identity and belonging, who you are. And so, you know, I think about it, you know, in some of the African-American uh, stories that I was, I was, I was listening to in that video, where it was my dad practiced this, my mom, my great grandfather practiced this, and both of them were this. There's a there's a certain sense in which they trace their story backwards, and 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 it speaks into identity, but also then it speaks into this longing to say, well, look, if I don't belong in this society, if I'm made not to feel like I belong, then I've got to recover and reclaim you know, my community, my original community, and they find solitude within the the African traditional religions. And part of that, of course, is to, well, you know, those who've come before us haven't haven't disappeared in history. They are still very much active. They're still very much part of the present. And all you have to do is recognize that and they can then have a meaningful relationship with you. So it speaks into how one reclaims one's identity and belonging. And then, of course, comes all the other benefits with that is that they can actually change the course of your life. So a lot of people feel helpless, especially now during the, you know, the pandemic. Uh, there's ways in which people felt a sense of control being taken away from them. Uh, and some of them, it extends through conversations about racism in society, particularly targeting certain groups of people. But this less of this loss of control can also uh, you know, be mitigated by having someone who's just in your corner backing you, who's there for you to give you, you know, to help you succeed in life and, and that sort of thing. So there's the experience side of it, uh, which which explains why some people are having these different ex- ex- experiences, but there's also the existential and psychological side of it. Mm-hmm. I love how you hit on the real experiences, because I think people especially in the U.S., we have 
such a um how do I want to put it um kind of anti um ex uh not anti-experience but it's kind of anti-supernatural experience like it's just that's something we we operate in this framework where logic rules and anything outside of that logical framework is dismissed and so I think that is that uh, those experiences, noting that they are real is important, but it's hard for the the U.S. mind, I think, to wrap their, many to wrap their minds around it. Um, and so that's why I think, <laughs> and I think that's very, a very European um, yeah. uh, thought process that has seeped in the minds of many Americans, black, white, uh, across the, across the ethnic spectrum um, that, anything supernatural or anything out of the ordinary that's that doesn't fit our framework didn't happen or just you made that up or you took something uh you had, you're on drugs and you spaced out um so i think it's important to to note that because everybody was noting very real experiences and seeing people seeing their ancestors and having conversations with them how do you think we engage that uh, with scripture so I, it's it's important that um, I can agree with your with the fact that you've had an experience without necessarily agreeing with how you interpret your experience. Mm -hmm. Often people think that by by agreeing, at least granting, you know, that somebody has had a particular experience, then you have to also accept, you know, the the interpretive lens that they apply in understanding what the experience means. But I think, I think you can do one without the other. And it's important that you, you, you do so, so that you, firstly, you dignify people. Uh, it's, a, it's a question of dignity. In, in, in our case, let me tell you a story. Um, you know, growing up, you know, we, we had um, this lady, this old lady that we would, we would go to as a family to go and consult, you know, uh, and we would, we, whenever we arrived, you know, we never, we never surprised her. She was always ready for us because she would say she always knew when we were coming. So we never announced it. We just decided to come. And then she was always ready. She had the exact number of uh, seats as well uh, ready for us. And when we went there, she met us at the gate. And one of the things that we did is before we spoke to her, she spoke to us and she would say, she would tell us what, why we were there. She would tell us what the issue was. And in so doing, she would gain our trust, knowing that uh, she, because she knows our problem, therefore she knows how to fix it. And uh, of course, then she would reveal that it was the power of the ancestors that have revealed that to her and therefore gave the power to help us, you know, with that problem. Now, this was a common experience for a lot of, uh, again, Africans, uh, African people in different communities. But then the, the other layer comes in when you have a, you know, say a Christianity that comes in that, again, is dismissive of these experiences and rather than reinterpreting them theologically, just completely dismissing them as superstition. So what happens is that people embrace, for political reasons in some cases, embrace a Christianity. And then when, when their child was sick, they took the child you know, brought them to the priest and the priest, you know, uh, sort of uh, the missionary was European, looked at them and said, what's wrong with your child? And that would have been a very confusing experience because our common experience is that if you play this priestly role, you're supposed to know. And so then the people will then get over that and tell them, this is what's wrong with my child. We haven't been sleeping and so forth. And they would say, oh, let's take them to the doctor or let's run some tests and that would be doubly confusing because now not only do you not know what the problem is, you still need to find out, you know, after I've told you on how to fix it. And you just simply just a, it painted a powerless kind of Christianity. And so what people decided to, to, I think, started to do was realize that, well, if this kind of Christianity doesn't answer these questions, it means that there's something that I've left behind that needs to be brought into this uh, into this environment so that it can form a comprehensive uh, sort of uh, experience. And so what ended up happening is people said, okay, so I know what to do when my child is sick. I know where to go. I also know where to do, you know, where to go when I would like 
you know, to, 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 to feel Christian or to do the Christian things. And then it becomes a syncretic form of religion, which is what I saw in the videos that people tend to pick and choose what they can uh, from Christianity, from African traditional religions. And, and then where there are tensions, there, there's some form of reconciliation. So for instance, you find people saying, we don't pray to our ancestors. We pray to God through them. You know, we don't worship our ancestors. We worship God through them. But it's a, it's a way of trying to reconcile things which actually are in inherent tension and are not compatible at all. You know, just to be clear, biblical faith is, a uh, biblical Christianity is not compatible with the core elements of, of ancestralism in the sense. Mm -hmm. That's helpful because I think one of the greatest tensions that I saw in that video is I think the culture's greatest tension is exclusivity of Christ. That right. people want a little bit of everything, not sell out completely to anything. Um, I, that was one of the, because they felt like, I think if I was hearing them correctly, because it had been, Christianity has been used as a tool of oppression, has been mismanaged, misrepresented, used as a tool of manipulation and is done. And the people that have used it that way have done so much damage, then God cannot limit himself to a framework that has been that has not that they have not really seen live up to the biblical view. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the heart cry of many people across uh, across the globe. It's not just limited to this scenario. I think people are like, if it's been mismanaged, God is yeah. too big to that. That is one. And then God is too big to limit himself to one exclusive um way um that that would be a narrow-minded view of god which is interesting because god could choose to do what he wants um in in his framework of salvation um did you see that as the the tension there the exclusivity was where yeah. it was it was difficult yes so there is there is a there's a there's a false dichotomy that is often created um on one end, people recognize the inherent injustice, right? Christianity in the hands of, you know, some of the missionaries was used, or was wrapped in Western culture and used to commit in, uh, all forms of injustice, uh, cultural injustices against, you know, Africans and other people in, in the world. They recognize uh, the, the, the way in which Christianity was, was abused, was used as a tool of oppression uh, historically, even to justify, you know, slavery here in South Africa, to justify, you know, um, apartheid. A large section of the church here at the time, a prominent part of the church, gave theological backing for apartheid, for instance. People see that and they're learning. I think we're learning how to articulate this and we're learning to, to see you know, the, the picture as it emerges of, of how unjust this is. Even the co-opting of Christianity to promote Western culture, and you still, you still find in today's, in today's churches, so much so that for some places when you become Christian, you also have to embrace Western uh, culture because they're so wrapped in, in, in each other and you, you lose that, you know, those beautiful aspects of your own of your own culture. We, we recognize the injustices and, the, and, and, and the, the picture is emerging. But then we tend to move, you know, Lisa, to the other uh, extreme where then we, we embrace everything. Uh, you know, we, 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 we then, you know, think that to recognize one means that uh, the injustice on the one side means that we have to then embrace every single thing in an uncritical way. There is in, in, in Hebrews uh, a scripture for me that, that began to, to, to at least open up maybe an alternative way of understanding, you know, this, this issue. In Hebrews 1 verse 1, you know, um, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And the, the Jewish preacher there, looks into his people's sacred history and he says, God 
has been communicating with us. They are the footprints of God. They're, they're, they're the fingerprints of God in our cultural history that is sacred. In other words, our history, there's, there's a sacredness to it that traces God's interaction with our people. And he says, and through these various prophets, although it, it, it was in anticipation to, to, to the final and clear revelation. The staggered communication was in preparation, anticipation of this final and clear revelation in Jesus Christ. He's now made himself clear in the person of Christ. But there's a way of looking back. And, and this is how I began to see it, that there's a way in which we can look back and say, well, if our assumption is that God is active in the world, we shouldn't be surprised that he's been communicating himself to cultures. Historically, we shouldn't be surprised that also because of our hearts that we haven't often understood that communication, haven't often received him in our cultures, in our communities historically. But we shouldn't be surprised to find that the fingerprints, uh, the footsteps of God in cultural history, but then that we don't absolutize it in a way that makes it canon because the fact is that we've struggled in understanding God that that staggered communication was in anticipation to the clear and final revelation in Jesus Christ, that we don't have to look back anymore, but we can look at the person of Jesus Christ as a final and clear revelation of, Jesus, of, of, of God to us as a people, no matter which culture you come from. Mm-hmm. That's, that's extremely helpful. Um, when, before we started, you talked about um, people missing the theological uh, perspective um, in this talks, and when you when you broke it down into how you view these uh, these things, um, you like to look at overarching themes from from different parts. I think it was about four parts. You you thought through it. Um, share with our audience um, some of the parts that we may have not discussed, and then how do you bring the theological perspective? in it. Um, I think we touched on it a little bit, but just in kind of a synopsis for our, for our, for our viewers. Yeah. So when I'm watching the video, I, you know, first, you know, make a, I guess I put a column in terms of what's happening and I see the question is what is happening. And I see people, you know, embracing what they call African is African spirituality or different Afri- African spiritualities, African tra- traditional African religions. And, you know, I see people uh, also rejecting Christianity or not seeing the church as a central organizing institution for their lives. Uh, I see how uh, people are practicing a form of pluralism um, where they embrace um, different kinds of religions. So somebody's saying, well, you know, this African spirituality is all encompassing. I see how some people say, uh, as well, that they're not necessarily becoming atheistic, that there's a belief in a higher power, uh, a, a, a new, a higher dimension and, and a divinity. They're using these terms to try and understand, you know, um, a reality which is not completely materialistic, that there is a supernatural dimension or another dimension to it. So I, I watch that, I ask, what is happening? And I, I try and listen. I think often sometimes before we see, before we, un- we, we try and, and just hear what's going on, we can be quick to try and analyze. And of course our social analysis will be weak. Then when I think I've done that immersion experience and look at who I am in the story, I don't speak for all black people or people of color. I don't speak for all Africans or South Africans or Sotho or Zulu people, I don't. Uh, and so I, I try and understand who am I in this story, in this conversation, so that I can also be respectful to other people in terms of their opinions and their views and their experiences. But then I try to then move to the second part, which is understanding. You know, what's going on? Uh, why? What are the links? Uh, let me look at and, and, and let, me, let, me, let me do a bit of reading in terms of West African religions and how they relate to the development of the African, uh, what you, American, African-American community. Uh, where some of them, you know, the development of voodoo or voodoo uh, as well. And I look at different parts of those developments and it's very fascinating. It's very interesting to see some of those parallels uh, in in terms of making the connection. But in the second stage, I'm asking, why is this happening? You know, um, and 
there's there's so many interesting things like the distrust in the in in, in church structures uh, because of their abusive nature, but also their failure to engage with some of the important narratives of our time, maybe some of the explanations. But by the time I'm done, then there comes the theological reflection. Um, and I go point by point to try and understand what does the Bible have to say about this? And, and some of the glaring and missing aspects of this, I think I saw was, was in a theological reflection. For instance, I make the point that biblical faith is incompatible with ancestralism. Why do I say so? Um, again, I'm speaking as an insider, but you can make this case both from an ancestralism side as well as from a, a Bible side. But for interest's sake, let me make it from the biblical side. They're incompatible because, you know, you read scriptures like Deuteronomy 18, verse 11. God explicit, explicitly forbids the the, the interpreting omens or the consultation of spiritists or mediums or those who call on the dead. The living should not be calling on the dead. There is in Isaiah 18 verse 9, you know, God is, God is, God is holding his people to account. And one of the strongest uh, rebukes there and, and, and the questions is, is why should the living call on the dead or look to the dead on behalf of the, the living? Should not my people look to their God? And you see a God who wants an exclusive relationship with his people, those who are called his people. In ancestralism, God delegates the relationship that he has with people to the ancestors. Power and relationship is delegated there. That's why people say we don't pray to God, we pray, uh, we don't pray to ancestors, we pray to God through our ancestors. They sense their places as mediators in the relationship between man and, and God. In some cases, God is. In some African communities, God is considered a king who's so far away that, you know, how dare you just walk into the courts of the king? You need somebody to 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 mediate for you, somebody who of us lives at least in proximity with the courts of the king. And that leads obviously to the point that you're making about the exclusive place of Jesus Christ. That in First Timothy 2 5, for instance, the, there's there's only one God and, and one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. And that, I think, will cut at the core of a lot of assumptions that come from um, uh, what you call uh, ancestralism, because the role that ancestors or spirits uh, have come before us, that the role that they play is, is, is very much comparable to the role that in, in, in the biblical framework is only reserved for Jesus Christ, which also then translates into why there's a case for even calling it ancestral worship, even though I don't like this term as somebody who was an insider. I used to think that people who use this term just don't understand because we never refer to it ourselves as ancestral worship. But however, biblically speaking, the relationship where you look towards you know, somebody with that level of trust, that level uh, of, of dependency, that level where you're saying, tell me what to do. You order your life according to their will, basically. We order our lives according to the will of the ancestors uh, to preserve a sense of, of harmony. And that relationship is meant to be a worship relationship with God. And, and, and so they replace God. It's not that they facilitate the relationship, but biblically speaking, you can make a case that actually that's a worship kind of relationship that is reserved for, for God. And so uh, th there's hardly a, a discussion around these salient points that, listen, you, you're, you're more than welcome to, to choose and say, I'm, I'm rejecting this aspect of Christianity as uh, 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 framed by this scripture, this biblical data and so forth. You, 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 as long as you're honest in that's what you're doing, you're rejecting aspects of Christianity and you're choosing uh, certain other aspects. And then of course there are aspects also of ancestralism that people often are also selective about. Like, so for instance, if you go into the right in the beginning, one of the ladies highlights their experience that in certain cultures as a twin, maybe they would have been born alone because in their culture 70 years or so back, then the, the cultural belief and practice was to actually kill the twin, the other twin, so that only one is born. 
And so there are certain ways in which some people are also selective in terms of what they call African traditional religions, and particularly, I guess, amongst uh, young people, millennials these days. But these two things are not compatible. And if we, if we can make these points talk to each other, this is what the scriptural data is. Yes, we need to sometimes do a bit of polishing because some of these scriptures are interpreted not from our context and so often they're not contextualized. But we can know what scripture says. We can actually apply it very confidently in our cultures and that's what we've been doing uh, for most part. But we, we, we then have to say, you have to realize and be honest. You're now choosing and making up your own religion. Uh, this is no longer biblical Christianity. That's what the, the theological reflection would do. But it will also show that we need to reclaim the biblical Jesus as well. Uh, not some of the Jesus uh, pictures or portrayals uh, that have permeated in the church today. One of those strongest pictures is when you look at the Gospels, for instance, is Jesus who's deeply engaged in the social narrative and contradicting unjust behavior and oppressive behavior in his everyday life. And this is the sort of thing that we, 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 we lose a lot uh, in certain expressions of the church where Jesus uh, only then is about, you know, forgiveness of sins. And, but then he is sort of very innocuous uh, and, 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 um, and very irrelevant when it comes to addressing some of the heartfelt needs of people, which in the scriptures he addressed by his very presence when he, you know, contradicted even racist uh, behavior or prejudiced behavior. He challenged that when he saw it. He dignified second-class citizens. He upheld the value and the status of women in a culture that could often see them as also second-class citizens to men. You see very different kind of behavior when, when he treats them with dignity and with honor and with respect. He challenges, you know, the religious leaders of the time who uh, uh, prioritize economic activity over spiritual vitality, you know, at the temple. Uh, when these guys are using religion to oppress uh, poor people and the common people, Jesus addresses them at, uh, at directly, challenges them directly. He won't stand for that kind of behavior. Then he advocates for the poor, he advocates for the marginalized, and then you see how he embraces the those who are outcasts, or, or social outcasts at the time. This is the Jesus that's in the text. And we need to see him reclaimed in the church so that people don't have to think that they have to go somewhere else to address their, their deep, deeply felt convictions and the issues that is so meaningful for today when we discuss things like social justice and race and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You definitely hit the nail on the head because they're looking for, they're like, biblical, biblical Christianity sounds great, but we've never seen it. So we have to... Mm -hmm take our experience with Christianity and supplement it with someone else with something else because American Christianity is so anemic. And so <laughs> we need supplements because in their minds to tag a line from uh, Ravi's uh, popular book, Christianity has, has Christianity failed you for many of them. They feel like Christianity has failed and they haven't seen an authentic biblical expression of it and that it is so far fetched that it is impossible to live out or to see it reflected in church community. So an expression of what biblical Christianity and Jesus actually taught and people actually living that out um, is, is one of our greatest apologetic to, to this rise of people going other places uh, because they haven't seen authentic Christianity. Um, yeah. And so I think yeah. for Christians that will help us, to think through and not demonize, but be a charge for us to live out our faith in a way that's appealing, where people want to 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 engage. Um, but right now, there's just there's not as many good examples as we would like to see uh, on the ground <laughs> to help to help navigate this. <laughs> would there be any other uh, wise words as we're closing? I know. I've kept you on this. Uh, we're um, almost hitting the hour. But yeah. it, as people are engaging, the tendency is to demonize. Um, the tendency yeah. is to go and jump down people's throats 
tell them not to listen to Beyonce's album. Uh, you know, just go all in uh, without listening to what they're really saying. What is a better approach you think that will be helpful in engaging um, that dignifies people's experiences, that really listens to people's felt needs? Um, yeah. What is a way that we could do apologetics better to those who are engaging African spirituality? So by all means, it's important that we, we reclaim that which has been lost uh, in an in an unjust process. So this is something that I have to wrestle with. Um, something that many of us wrestle with is how to how to understand our African identity. And depending on where you are, I guess that whatever identity uh, in relationship to Christianity, because we understand that it's God's idea really that we, we that the world should be populated with teeming diversity that that's god's plan that's god that was god's intention all along when he gave this cultural uh, mandate i guess uh, to the first uh, for the first people on 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 earth uh, that was his his always plan and so where that has been unjustly disrupted where that has been erased where there's been an erasure I guess, of critical and important uh, knowledge systems which can express God and, and worship to God in a meaningful and powerful way, then we've got to do that. And I think it's an important work uh, to do it and, uh, and call out the injustice and name it. Um, but then we've got to do it in a critical way because not everything that's within that, uh, that category of the things that we uncover is actually good. Not everything is right just because it existed. And, and we've got to be, uh, uh, apply our minds and apply our hearts and, and be able to separate uh, and interrogate those just in the same way that we're interrogating, you know, the, 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 some of the beliefs in, in the church. Today, we, we interrogate, you know, whatever we find in that category uh, because the idea, again, is so that we can express worship to God right from from our, from authentically from from who we are but we also then understand that we we have been called into a new community that uh part of the story the gospel story is that god created the world uh, and it was good uh, shalom everything is working as god intended to work especially the relationship between the things that god created but through the event that we call the fall man's rebellion that the creation fell into sin and into decay. Uh, but then because God is loving, because he's good, then he initiates a rescue plan and a plan to fix his, his cosmos. And so in Jesus Christ, he, he affects a salvation and a rescue mission that we could not have done, we could not have earned, we could not have conjured up, we, we could not have even deserved. Uh, but then he wants to redeem the world and to create a new humanity. And there's an invitation that when there's a reconciliation, that happens is facilitated by the person of Christ between us and God, between us and one another, and even creation, that, that we enter into this new uh, creation, we become part of this, uh, this, uh, this community, but that community uh, called the people of God, and then not only enters into relationship with God, but enters into the work of God, right? That we are invited to participate with God on his mission to fix his cosmos. And that's a really important uh, uh, honor and part of, of, of what it means to be, to be a Christian. Part of, of that work is to look at where, how Christ has been framed unjustly, uh, Lisa, uh, in, 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 in our history and to reclaim that Christ. And so I would say to people who are really struggling, embracing African uh, spirituality as an alternative to the wrongs, I'm saying before you do that, look at the person of Christ, who, by the way, has always been present in, in, our, in our cultural histories. Uh, don't, don't, if we can get past the fact that he exists beyond the erasure of those who were prejudiced towards African people, who erased him from our history, our histories, who treated our histories unjustly, that there's a reality in which Christ still existed 
uh, beyond the injustice or the unjust acts. And, 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 and even though we might not be able to fully recover that portrait, well, he's still there now for us to do so if we would be able to reclaim him, if we were able to embrace him. So this is an opportunity to embrace Christ now and the real Christ and reclaim him. So that's the work we should be doing to say, will the real Christ stand up who understands our narratives, who understands our longings, as I say, our aspirations, who understand our pain and our struggles when we think about history, identity, belonging, questions. But he doesn't only come just to say he understands, but he completes our narratives and invites us to something better, something bigger, something that we are really truly longing for. Jesus Christ is there to satisfy our cultural longings too, but in a way that is redeemed, in a way that they were meant to be, in a way that they were meant to reflect worship to him. He's the only one who can give us this template. Otherwise, what we have is a way in which we identify what's wrong, but we don't know how to place it within the scheme. We don't know where to place our laments. And not only that, when we don't know what to do with it, Christ answers both questions. Awesome. That is so, so helpful. How can people connect with you on social media and what resources would you recommend for them on this topic? So uh, connect with me through social media, Instagram, Facebook. I'm not so active on, on, on Twitter. I'm afraid I'm still finding uh, my feet on that. But <laughs> on our website, rzim.org, uh, and rzim.org.za as well. The .za will, will, will link you to, to some of our uh, speakers here in, in Africa, situated in Nigeria, in Ghana, uh, in Kenya, in South Africa, of course. Uh, and, and these are important because, you know, I saw that on the video, some of the people who I think were, were, talk, were discussing some of the experiences that they were framing them to, with some of the cultures who um, uh, from whom some of our speakers come from. So it might be that you have a question particularly about the Ibu, you know, as you saw there, we have a speaker who's actually from that culture, one of our, uh, one of our amazing speakers, who I'm sure would be very much open to engage and, in our, and, and interact with, with you regarding some of the questions specifically that you might have. So engage with us on social media, write to us, we'll be happy to connect. Uh, I think part of the work, Lisa, is uh, reading theologians and voices that are not necessarily uh, in the West as well, because sometimes we can make the mistake of only reading from one particular context that defines somebody else's context. And so, like I said, people like John uh, Mbiti, uh, Bediako as well, is, is an amazing theologian that I recommend that if you can read his stuff, you'll see that one of the contributions that he's made in this particular area is, is, is reckoning, I guess, uh, and, 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 uh, bringing his Christian identity with his cultural African identity. And maybe you can trace some some of his steps there and find a template through which you can, and a framework through which you can think and process some of these issues uh, as well. And others were sort of contemporary. Katangole uh, as well has been, has been quite helpful. If you read The Sacrifice of, of Africa as well, that's, that could just give you some ideas and some understanding of how we're wrestling with uh, some of these some of these issues and many, many others as well. Thank you so much. This has been a rich conversation and thank you all for listening to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. Remember you can get our um, curriculum through eyes of color at g3project.org. Uh, you can take our online course there um, and don't forget to register for the virtual conference that is going to be uh, amazing. Uh, Justice actually will be giving a lecture. He's a part of uh, the RZIM team as well on, on the subject of African spirituality. So make sure you, you check that out as well. Uh, remember here at the G3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And also before we go, if you would like to join and become a monthly partner, you could do so at G3 Project dot org backslash donate we appreciate it every gift helps equip until next time god bless thank you so much for listening to another episode of the jew three project podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode you can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com you can subscribe on itunes stitcher 
Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.